we have breaking news. Wolverine and Cyclops of the X-Men become the newest Disney princesses as Mickey Mouse makes a historic move to acquire a huge chunk of 20th Century Fox. Matt and I give you our initial reactions, but before that, we reveal some of our favorite books, both fiction and non. Brace yourselves, folks. You're up to bat with Ben and Matt in 3, 2, 1. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, or morning or evening, whenever you're listening to this. I gotta, I guess I gotta say that every time now. Um, uh, welcome to episode three of Up to Bat with Ben and Matt. I am Matt, and here joining me, as always, is the lovely and talented uh, brother of mine, Ben Wheeler. What's going on, Ben? Not much. How's it going with you? All right, I guess. Uh, I had to sub yesterday. Uh, for those uh, out there that don't know, I do substitute teaching. And usually whenever uh, I say that, uh, I usually get a few, well, bless your hearts, or something to that. Um, and deservedly that. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because in high school, I was always like, man, I'd hate to be a sub. That would that'd just be awful having to deal with you know kids all day like this. But it's really not not anywhere near as bad as I thought it would be. So there's that. Today we're going to be talking about a couple different things, starting with our favorite uh, books and what we've read that we've really enjoyed. And I think, Ben, you've got two or three, um, and then I've got a few. I could go for hours, but we've only got about 45 minutes. So Yeah, yeah. Hold your horses. Rain it in. We'll get started. I'm going to let you jump off with it, and what do you got first? My first book is called Atlantis Found. Uh, it was it came out in 1999, uh, written by a guy named Clive Cussler. Uh, it's a techno-thriller, and uh, if you've ever seen the movie Sahara, starring uh, this guy you may have heard of, Matthew McGonaghy, is that what? how you say it? I can never say his, I can never say his name right, uh, but the movie was Sahara, and it was based off one of these books by Clive Cussler. Um, the main character's name is Dirk Pitt. And uh, I, th- I think total now there's maybe like 25 of these books about this character. Uh, but it's, it's kind of the uh, James Bond kind of character, except that he, uh, he's an oceanographer. He's kind of a, a scientist or an engineer. Um, but he just gets into these crazy situations and he ends up having to save the world in every book. Uh, so in this one, uh, and Clive Custer likes to take um, history that we all know and just put this really weird twist on it. Uh, like there's one book um, where the bad guy was Greek, and um, it started out, the, pr- the prologue was um, uh, basically the Iliad, the battle between the Greeks and the, uh, uh, the Trojans, but in this book, um, Troy wasn't actually in Greece; it was in Britain, and so it's a total, total different twist on that. Uh, but in this book, Atlantis found uh, our big bad is uh, it's the Nazis, and they're trying to um, have this Fourth Reich. They're trying to take over the world again to have their superior race, and um, 
So their their big idea is they're going to destroy the ice caps and uh, they're building these gigantic ships so they can put all their people on. The rest of the world is destroyed, uh, but they repopulate the world um, in, in their own image. Uh, so the idea is, can this Dirk Pitt character save them in time? Uh, so it was, um, I think I've read that book probably five or six times um, since, since I first read it. Uh, and the uh, other signature move on this series of books is that Clive Custler puts himself into the books. He has a cameo, and he and Dirk Pitt are always, they always cross paths, and they're always, they're always like, don't I know you? You look very familiar to me. And then they, they go their separate ways. So uh, that's my first book I've always enjoyed reading. Yeah, and uh, t- typically on the back of those books, he usually puts a picture of him in one of his cars, right? Right. He always has cameos for one. He's got uh, this classic car collection, and one of those cars always makes a cameo as well. Yeah, uh, always enjoy looking at his book. I've never actually read those books, mm-hmm. but um, whenever you and had really them, after, I enjoyed the cars. After a while, they're they're pretty much the same book over and over. Uh, you just put in different bad guys, but I enjoy them nonetheless. How yeah. about you? Uh, well, my the ones that I like um, are pretty much mainstream um, that I think most everybody know and most everybody have read. But I, I'm not so sure about th- this first one, and it's one that I believe you actually got me on many many a year ago. Oh yes, um, and it is the Redwall series. Oh yes, yes. Um, in I don't know exactly <laughs> how to describe this. I will do my best. Redwall is um, is a series of books by um, his name just Brian Jakes. Brian Jakes, yeah, uh, Jocks, whatever French French name, and uh, it's about animals, basically um, animals with human lives, basically, um, and for a lot of them, they center around. Um, three or four different characters, and uh, for a, a lot of them, this place, uh, Redwall, which is an, an abbey, mm-hmm. um, which never really made sense to me because what's their religion? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, anyways, so each book would be centered around three or four different characters. Each each um, story um, wouldn't necessarily have characters from previous stories, although some might. And um, each, so each story would be different, but also the same in the sense of it had, they all have almost the same f- formula. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there might be two groups of heroes and then a group of villains. Uh, the, There's always an army of rats or ferrets or weasels coming into it. Yeah, yeah. So all the, all the vermin type <clears throat> Uh, rodents are always the villains mm-hmm. and then um, hares, otters, mice, hedgehogs those are always the good guys and it does so, cover many generations too yeah yeah. Uh, so one book you may be reading about another character's grandfather or something like that um, anyway so the formula might be the um, the villains are coming to town to, uh, figuratively speaking to sack and pillage or rule over whatever and then one of the groups of heroes is out in the world somewhere, finding their way to where the eventual battle will be, 
and then the heroes of Redwall, if it's a story that includes Redwall Abbey, um, go out to find allies or something like that and uh, bring it bring it all home. And although they they typically have the same uh, formula in that sense, um, I I never got tired of them. Mm-hmm. I never got bored of them, mainly because. Well, they all had different stories. They followed the same formula, but they were different stories. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. And then some of the books might have recurring characters. Um, so anyways, that was a good series. Um, did, I, did he pass away? Yes. Yeah, he passed away. Um, I, th- I think I have I think I think have at least the majority of that series in my possession. So uh, highly recommend it. It's, it's interesting because it's a series that Although it's about forced animals, I don't think <laughs> I don't think um, it could necessarily be considered a children's book. Um, just because some of the elements in it are really, really dark. To be honest, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Um, yes, uh, there were there were some kind of gruesome deaths in, yeah. in those books too. Yeah. Um, if you've ever read The Secret of Nim. Or uh, Watership Down, it's very much in the vein of those those books and movies as well. Uh, yeah. And he also wrote um, some books about the Flying Dutchman as well that we read. Yeah. Um, well, I have those. I haven't. I haven't read those. I still haven't gotten around to read those. Actually, the the first oh. one was my favorite. Um, it was called Castaways of the Flying Dutchman. Yeah. And uh, that one was was quite interesting as well. It's uh, it takes a different tact than uh, the. Than Pirates of the Caribbean does. Uh, I was about to make a Will Turner joke. Don't um, do that. Yeah, well, you beat me to it, so I can't. Um, so, anyways, uh, I recommend the Redwall series. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of books in that series, and I just I really recommend it to anybody. Which one was your favorite? Do you think? Oh, oh, oh come on. Um, oh. You know what? Uh, I'll I'll get back to you on that. I will I will post on Twitter my favorite of that series because um, I just got to go through the books and remind myself of what of all the books. You know. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, so, be on the lookout for that. Yes, uh, on on the twitters. So. Well, um, you're gonna probably gonna notice that um, there's a pattern forming um, where we read a lot of series of books, um, and so uh, we've had the Dirk Pitt books. Uh, Matt just did the the Redwall books, and uh, now I'm going to do a series of books by a guy named Terry Brooks um, called The Heritage of Shannara. Um, This was a uh, four-book series. Uh, My favorite one was called The Druid of Shannara. You've got um, the the Skions of Shannara, Druid of Shannara, Elf Queen of Shannara, and... um, um, talismans of Shannara, and, and so and yes. there's actually sh- a Shannara uh, based on the books on Netflix now, right? It with it's, uh, it comes Manu on Bennett. MTV, but uh, okay, it's on MTV, but it's on Netflix now. Um, Have you watched it? So, yes, and I'm half happy, half not, okay. mostly because it was on Netflix or uh, MTV. Uh, but so he's got this huge world that he keeps reading, uh, writing books about. And so uh, this particular four-book series, it, it works like one huge story, like uh, Lord of the Rings being one story but broken into three books. And so the idea is um, you've got this world called the Four Lands. It's populated by men and elves and dwarves and trolls and uh, creatures like that. But it's our world. Uh, it's thousands of years after um, 
we destroy ourselves in nuclear war. Uh, so because of the fallout from this uh, nuclear war, uh, the race of man splits into all these other uh, races, the dwarves and trolls. Uh, but so in uh, the time that the books are set, you've got this new sickness in the land. Um, it's caused by this uh, mysterious group called the Shadowen, uh, creatures of magic that can possess other people. And so now it's up to three descendants of the elf king, Jerl Shannara, uh, to defeat these Shadowen. And each one of these three uh, descendants uh, has a separate quest to um, fit into the overall larger quest. So Par Armsford, uh, he has been assigned to retrieve this, the sword of Shannara, which uh, was important in uh, earlier books in the in the series. You've got Walker Bow, who is supposed to bring back the druids, uh, kind of like the the wizards from from past ages. And then you've got Ren Armsford, who is supposed to uh, retrieve the elves who have been exiled. Uh, they exiled themselves about a century before. Uh, so uh, they've been assigned these three tasks uh, to help defeat the, the Shadowen. And so the reason I chose uh, the Druid of Shannara as being my favorite is because it focuses on the story of uh, that second guy, Walker. Um, I kind of identified with him the most out of any of the characters in those books because uh, he was kind of um, introspective and um, really just kind of wanted to be left alone, you know, and I, I really kind of identified with that. Uh, so if you enjoy uh, fantasy books, uh, these are pretty good. Um, the first Shannara book that uh, Terry Brooks wrote was called The Sword of Shannara. And um, it's been criticized a lot because it bears a strong resemblance to Lord of the Rings. Uh, it was written in the 70s, and it was his first attempt at uh, writing uh, fiction. And so he really improved and kind of blazed his own path in, in books after that. And so uh, by the time these books that I'm talking about here came along, um, he'd gotten pretty good at it. Uh, so that's that's another series that I really really enjoy, and I've read multiple times. Yeah, uh, another series uh, that you I tried read. it a couple times. I remember you trying the Wish Song, uh, Wish yeah. Song of Shannara, but you never got into it really. Well, I guess so. I didn't. I don't remember it. So, <laughs> oh, well. so yeah, there we go. I, I need to try it again. It was probably a long time ago when I tried it. Um, so <clears throat> my next. Uh, choice uh, is also a series, and it's one that uh, many, many people love. Uh, many people have uh, read. Um, movies have been made about them. It's the Harry Potter series. Absolutely love Harry Potter. Um, as a book, if I had to pick my favorite, uh, probably would be either um, Order of the Phoenix or uh, Half-Blood Prince. I'm not sure I could tell you why i don't um, know either because out of the seven order of the phoenix was my least favorite really um Harry just yeah had I don't an know. attitude problem in that book yeah well i mean you can't really blame him for that had a horcrux in him that'll that'll give you a bad day uh people were keeping secrets from him nobody likes that um anyway so i i, I guess those two are my favorite um books movies i think would either be the first one, uh, mainly because, man, how old was I? What, what year did that come out? It was 99. Know? 99, so I was about six years old when that came out. Mm -hmm. 
so for a little kid to see all this magic and all this, it is a, it's just an, a, an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, especially um, growing up with the series uh, and seeing. And that was, that was kind of the advantage for us. We were literally yeah. growing up with Harry Potter. Yeah. At the same time, mm-hmm. those books and movies were coming out. We were approximately mm-hmm. the same age as, as he was. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then Prisoner of Azkaban when it came out in theaters, that's when I first started developing my crush on Emma Watson. So that movie has a special place in my heart, mostly because, because of Emma. Because Emma Watson has a special place in my heart. Um, Don't but, tell your fiance that. Yeah, she knows. Um, just kidding. She she does know, but I'm just kidding about yeah, whatever. Um, but I don't know if I have a favorite out of the movies, but. That was always a good series to read. Uh, on Pottermore, I took all the tests and everything. I am a Gryffindor. Um, uh, my Patronus is a white swan. That's pretty cool, I guess. Um, and then my wand is like, oh man, I can't even remember now. Another thing I'll have to post on Twitter. All my all my Pottermore deets, all my details on Pottermore. So. Uh, so yeah, Harry Potter series. If you haven't read them, but you've seen all the movies, go back and read them. Um, if you've, well, I was about to say if you've read them, I haven't seen the movies, but I don't know if there's, there is such a person that has read the books that haven't seen the movies. Um, but if you, if you are one of those people, uh, go watch the movies. Uh, for the most part, it's a, they, they do a really good job of translating it to film. So, uh, so yeah, Harry Potter. All right. Um, now I'm going to uh, take a severe left left turn, uh, turn from uh, fiction to theology. Um, I read this book uh, in one of my classes at Faulkner University called "Cost of Discipleship." Uh, it was published in 1937. It was written by a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who's a Lutheran, and he was actually imprisoned for his involvement with the Hitler assassination attempt. Um, and so um, he is very well regarded by everybody. And so in this book, Cost of Discipleship, he was asking the question, what does it mean to be a disciple? What do we have to give up to to follow Christ? And so it introduces a concept he calls uh, cheap grace and costly grace. So I'd actually like to uh, read a small passage uh, from this book about cheap and costly grace. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, and absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. Is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will plug out the eye which causes him to stumble? Is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him? Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it, because it costs God the life of His Son. Uh, quoting, 
you were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. So that's just a, a sample of what Bonhoeffer has to say in Cost of Discipleship. Yeah. Um, well, I too am going to take a little bit more serious turn, I guess. Um, in my One of uh, my favorite books that um, has always been really special to me is um, The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Um I, I, I bet that's another one of those books that uh, a lot of people know of and uh, also love. Um, but the idea behind this book is uh, this little boy is uh, friends with this tree, and all throughout his life, the tree uh, always gives him what he needs at that particular point in time. So it starts off with an apple, and then um, it's branches, um, and then... It's the the rest of its wood, so he can make a house for himself. And then, even at the end, when it's just a stump sitting there, the little boy who is now an old man, uh, the tree he needs somewhere to sit, and the tree says, "Well, I'm I'm perfect for sitting, so sit on me," uh, and just communicates. Really, you know, uh, two two uh, two messages. I think uh, number one, the obvious of be the kind of friend who is willing to give to loved ones what they need, you know, um, um, the kind of love that is, uh, without merit, you know, uh, I'm not going to give something to you simply because you've done something for me. Um, unconditional, that's the word I was looking for. Um, and then the second one that I've kind of started to take from it, um, as I've gotten older is, don't be the kind of friend who just takes and takes and takes. Um, because although you may have those friends that love you unconditionally and want to help you out no matter what, don't take advantage of them. Um, be the kind of person who is who is grateful and will give in return. And, and even though it should be unconditional, you should also want to give back. Like, mm-hmm. seems a little bit confusing, but it also makes perfect sense. <laughs> you know? Um so that's 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 such a good book. I love all Shel Silverstein stuff. Um, I may need to start collecting those again. Well, that one really is like it's like a child's book, you know. But um, it, yeah. it it you can see all these deep meanings, yeah. even though it is so simple, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and that's I think that's part of the beauty of it is although it's a child's book, he said with air quotations with his fingers. That's right. You guys can't book. see that. Yeah, yeah, not a video. Um, even though it's a child's book, I keep hitting my mic. I need to hold on there. I keep bumping it when I do the air quotes. <laughs> That's a child's book. It's also uh, a book that you, you see different elements as you grow older. And as you grow older, different things in that book might pertain to you more. You know? Um, so I think it's it's interesting in that sense of, you know, when you're younger, it's teaching, the, teaching you the lesson of love unconditionally love because love is what you should do you know give because because you know uh, you, you do love them you know and, and then as you grow older you might start inferring other lessons lessons that um may not necessarily uh be easy for a, a child to pick up but because you've lived 
in this life a little bit longer, you get. So, um, anyways, that's the third one that I've I came prepared for. I had one more, um, yeah. and it's another um, theological book, kind of in the vein of um, cost of discipleship. It's called Mere Christianity, and it's written by C.S. Yes. Lewis. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so C.S. Lewis went from being a uh, non-believer to one of the greatest defenders of Christianity in the 20th century and beyond. Um, so he came to Christ partly through the influence of his good friend. Uh, you may have heard of him as well, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, so besides Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity is perhaps um, Lewis's best-known work. Uh, it's a compilation of talks he uh, did on the radio between 1941 and 1944. So uh, originally it was intended to be uh, kind of a, a comfort to the English people, to the British people uh, in the midst of, of World War II. Uh, and so then later on it was put together in, into this book, Mere Christianity. So Lewis had a true knack for boiling Christianity down to the basic principles and making it easy for everybody to understand. Um, if I were going to recommend two books, uh, two books as a primer uh, for what Christianity is all about to maybe somebody who doesn't have much, about, much of a background in it, um, what it is, what it should look like, uh, one of those books goes without saying should be the Bible itself. Old and New Testament Gospels and Epistles. Uh, the other is Mere Christianity. Uh, there's there's one part in here uh, where he talks about uh, he talks about all sorts of virtues and different sins, and he uh, argues that the greatest sin is pride because all the others stem from it. And uh, pride is definitely something that I have had to struggle with um, throughout my life. And there's a quote in there that. Uh, has always stuck with me, and essentially he was saying, uh, you can't see what's above you, meaning God, if you're always looking down on, on other people. Uh, you can't see what's above you if you're looking looking down. So that that has always been with me, and, and uh, I think about that quite a lot. So those are my favorite books. Uh, mm -hmm. We may do some more later on. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I have a few um, few favorites. Um, of course, if every book is my favorite, then none of them are. Yes. But that a few more books that I really like, I guess I should say. Well, if so. you're reading a lot of books, you're allowed to have a lot of favorites. Yeah. Um, not very logical, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> so, um, in, in current events, um, there's been... Something kind of big that has uh, happened officially today, uh, December 14th, 2017, that is exciting uh, for both Ben and myself, uh, and also kind of uh, intriguing, I guess. And that is um, Disney has officially bought most of 21st Century Fox. And I'm going to read a little bit of this article about it from uh, SuperheroNews.com. Um, the deal of the 21st century is officially here. Notice the pun there. Uh, the Walt Disney Company is buying most of 21st Century Fox, as both companies announced today. Among the assets include the purchase, uh, included in the purchase is Fox's movie studio. What belongs to Fox's 
movie studio will soon belong to Disney. That means some cool new toys are coming home to Marvel Studios. Uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger has extended his contract through 2021 to oversee this historic merger. He spoke about the deal for the very first time in the official announcement. Uh, and basically he goes into it and, and talks about what what goes on with it and what this means to them. But what this means to, uh, to, to me and to Ben and to a lot of uh, superhero fans out there is that Disney now currently has the rights to the X-Men. Uh, into Deadpool, uh, into the Fantastic Four. Um, so it'll be exciting because eventually down the road, we'll probably see the X-Men with the Avengers on screen. Never thought I'd see that. Maybe even the Fantastic Four uh, with the Avengers on screen. don't care about screen. the Fantastic Four. Well, we'll give Marvel a chance to do them right, and if they can't do them right, then we'll just assume the Fantastic Four are cursed. Um, but... What do you think about this? What are your initial thoughts? What are your musings? And also, what do you think about Disney doing a Deadpool movie? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I had also made some uh, some notes uh, about the different things that Disney would be getting out of this deal. First of all, do, did you hear what the price was? I somewhere it's, I did. I have it written what, down uh, here. It's wait, wait, fifty-two point four billion dollars. pocket change well for disney i'm sure but (laughs) uh so that that's how much um disney got fox for uh you mentioned uh the the x-men uh they'll be getting the rights to to the x-men also uh they're going to get the distribution rights for star wars a new hope uh, even though they had all the other movies and the new ones, uh, Fox still had the distribution rights for the first one. They're going to get TV shows like The Simpsons, yeah, Modern Family, American Horror Story, Homeland. Uh, they're going to be able to get the distribution rights uh, and being able to make uh, Avatar and yeah, the new I saw Avatar that. sequels that are coming out. Uh, that's the all the Ice Age movies. That's mm-hmm. the new Planet of the Apes movies. Question. Uh, they, yeah. Does that also include Gotham? Because Gotham is Fox, right? Yes. I don't know. We'd have to. <clears throat> we'd have to look into need, that. Yeah, look, need to look into that because that would mean that Disney also would have the rights to, <laughs> to the Batman prequel show. That. There are just so many twists and turns, and uh, I'll talk more about my thoughts in, in a moment. But yeah, I'm just continue. I'm kind of nervous about right, this. right as you were. Um, You've, they'll have some access to older properties like Night at the Museum, Home Alone, uh, things like that. Uh, you're going to get all the sports, uh, the Fox Sports channels. Uh, they're going to be bolstering ESPN, which is, you know, they've they've been kind of flagging the last couple of years. Uh, they're they're going to get forty percent stake in uh, Sky, which is the largest media company in Europe. They're going to get the National Geographic cable channel. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff here beyond just um, just the X-Men. And so I am excited about this, but I'm also really, really nervous. Because um, as much as I love Disney, it, it feels like they're, they're getting their hands on a lot of different... Uh, yeah, it's lot of different almost stuff. becoming a monopoly. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, I'm kind of picturing a uh, Blade Runner kind of world like in the next 10 years 
uh, where we're in this dystopian world where uh, yeah. Disney controls the whole cu- <laughs> the whole culture. It's like a the meme of like Mickey Mouse and Emperor Palpatine's robes. <laughs> yes, yes. Power. But then I'm I'm also I'm all it also feels weird to me to think that the mouse, this family friendly company, is is going to have a show like American Horror Story. Yeah. Which is very much not family friendly. Yeah. You know. Uh, can you see like like a, a conflict there? Yeah, and Deadpool. And Deadpool. I mean, you know, because that's I mean that's, that is um, that is the quintessential uh, R-rated super movie or superhero movie uh, of our time. Um, and you know that if they can bring it down to like PG thirteen or whatever, they're going to. So I kind of wonder how <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is going to handle that. I don't know. Oh, man. Um, so, a lot of exciting things about it. Um, but, yeah, it does. You do bring up a good point about, um, it, you know, it is kind of questionable, I guess. Um, but we'll see how things go. Uh, and very soon, ladies and gentlemen, on your next trip to Disney World or Disneyland, you'll get, get your picture taken with Homer Simpson. Think so. on that a while. <laughs> Oh man, um, I had a couple people ask me um, how we do our podcast, uh, and I do want to kind of go into that just real quick for just the last couple minutes. We do the bare bones with this, um, like we don't have the money to afford fancy equipment and stuff like that. But what we use is we both have an app called Boss Jock Studio. Um, which is basically a soundboard app for your, um, uh, your, your, your device, your tablet, your phone, whatever. Um, and that's what we actually record on. And um, so we have microphones that uh, we can use, um, or you can just use your device's uh, microphone, whatever. And we just record on Boss Jock, and then we will upload our sound files to Dropbox. And then uh, there we'll use Audacity to put them together. Um, and also add, like I'll do a short little intro and then a little bit of music intro and then outro and stuff like that. Yeah. So like I say, bare, very bare bones, but um, not difficult or, or anything like that. I think it turns out okay. Um, and speaking thereof, if you think this is a very okay podcast or maybe you even like it uh let us know um go on soundcloud uh you can find this on soundcloud and on itunes um go on soundcloud Uh, i don't know if you can comment on soundcloud or anything like that um but on itunes you can leave a review leave us some stars uh please do that only takes about 60 seconds or more depending on how slow or how fast you type uh, but go on iTunes, leave us a review, leave us some stars uh, in your review, give us some ideas for future episodes. Um, but if you just want to get in touch with us directly or see our musings, we're both on social media. So Ben, where can people find you? On Twitter, I'm at, uh, at Asclepius89. And I am on the Twitterverse, and I am on Instagram, at the Matt Network, uh, no capital letters. 
Yeah. And we've also got a new, uh, we also have a new uh, show email address mm-hmm. uh, just for the, for the podcast. Mm-hmm. It is up to batcast at gmail.com. That's the word up, the number two, and then batcast at gmail.com. So yeah, we'd so love to hear us, from you. Yeah, send us some ideas. Send us uh, for episode uh, topics. Uh, send us ideas for ways to to improve. Send us uh, equipment ideas. But yeah, so uh, we're both on the social medias. There's our email. And that'll about do it for us today, uh, our episode three. So thanks for listening. If you've stuck around with us this long, um, for Ben Wheeler. Yeah. For Ben Wheeler, I'm Matt Wheeler. And y'all take it.